We are continuing the book of Genesis. Here at Revolution Church, we like to go study the Bible the way it's written, just go through it a book at a time, a chapter at a time, and a verse at a time. And man, Genesis has been amazing, amen? It's just been really, I've been growing left and right, just reading stuff. And for a lot of us, these are stories you grew up with, you know, Noah's Ark, Abraham and Isaac, and all those things. But to see how every time, every time you study the Word of God with an open heart and an open mind, God just reveals more and more stuff to you. Amen? Isn't that great that He does that? Um, this morning, our, our scripture reader is Miranda Chavez. Miranda, would you come on up here? And so, yeah, give her a hand. Welcome her this morning. And um, another thing is we, we realize here at Revolution Church we need the Word of God. So if you see us reading the Scripture a lot, it's not just like, wow, they read a lot that day. No, we try to read a lot every Sunday because the Word of God, we believe, is everlasting, perfect, infallible, and directly from the Lord. And so we try to give great respect to that. Uh, Miranda is joined by her friend Angel this morning and her son Adrian and his friend Jacob, who's been with us before. Let's welcome them this morning. We're glad they're here. And I was actually looking this morning at some stuff, and I didn't realize that today it's been an actual year since Adrian and I have been attending here. Is that right? Well, it's been an actual year. Did not realize that. I guess the Lord laid you on my heart to, to read this morning for a reason. Amen. I didn't know that. That was good. Wow, one time flies. All right, Miranda, it's right there on the screen behind you. Y'all follow along as she reads for us this morning. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of the multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. For an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, I hope I said the right, for the everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which shall you keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, as for Sari, your wife, you shall not call her Sari, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. 
I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael not live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall name him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear for you at this time next year. When, when he had finished uh, talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all whose, those born in his house are bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that every day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those brought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks to be God. Amen. Thank you. I appreciate it, Miranda. Um, I said Miranda and not Amanda. I always call her Amanda every now and then, get it mixed up. So, hey, let's get the big elephant in the room out, right? Awkward passage. We're talking about circumcision. We're talking about circumcision of a man 99 years old, of, of his son that's 13 years old, of all these grown men. Awkward passage. I remember my pastor in when I, the church I got saved in, became a Christian in, was teaching through the book of Romans, and he got to the chapter that talked about circumcision. And he's talking about all this stuff. And at this time, I was dating a girl named Susie Owen, and I leaned over to Susie and I said, what is circumcision? And she got about 17 shades of red and said, ask your dad. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't grow up knowing that word. I didn't grow up in church. I got saved when I was nine. So and a few years later, I hadn't heard this word before. But yeah, it, it's an awkward topic. But I, just like everything else we covered in Genesis that's weird and crazy and far out, you'll see how God turns it into something beautiful. And yeah, even this morning, you're going to see that. Man, we, we believe the word of God is true. We believe that all the solutions to the problems that you are facing, that our country is facing, that our world is facing, are found in Genesis. That's why we're studying Genesis, to get back to the foundations, because our world is falling apart rapidly. And if we'll get back to the foundations of Genesis, we'll see the answers. In fact, there was a doctor from Scotland, Dr. Sir James Young Simpson, in Scotland a few hundred years ago. And he, as a physician, he was feeling compassion for all these people who were going through tremendous pain, whether it be th through surgeries, amputations, childbirth. I mean, back then, man, maybe they gave you a shot of whiskey and a stick and you bit it, you know, and you just, they were sawing off limbs with people and holding them down and people writhing and screaming in pain as they're having to do these necessary surgeries with no anesthesia. And he thought to himself as he's reading Genesis, Wait a minute, God did surgery on Adam. He surgically removed a rib from him, and it says he put him to sleep. 
that God had enough compassion to put him to sleep and then let him wake up from this. How can we do that? If God has this then, why can't we do this now? And he came up and invented chloroform. And so he, and he was the father of anesthesia. Of course, now many of you ladies know what an epidural is, right? Many of you, many of you have had surgeries. You're glad that they put you to sleep doing that. Uh, brother, Dr. Byers was telling me that he, when he had hip surgery, because he had a heart issue, or at least they thought he might have one, they didn't put him to sleep. They had, to, they had to give him, was it something, an epidural, something like that? And they replaced his hip while he was wide awake, okay? But he didn't feel much of it. He could smell it as they're sawing on his bones and stuff like that. But isn't it interesting that here's a man who saw pain in people, especially women. His main concern was for women bearing children and suffering so much that he um, went to the Bible and found a cure for that and found the solution. Now, what's interesting is back then, and if you Google this, you will see the atheists like to use this as a pushback against Christianity because there was a handful and I mean a handful of Christians that said, you shouldn't interfere with the pain of childbirth. It's part of the curse, and you shouldn't try to short-circuit it. But the overwhelming majority of Christians said, no, you're doing the right thing. But atheists will point at the few Christians who pushed back against this and act like that was all of Christians, just in case of you were doing uh, some research. Now, when, when Miranda was reading that, didn't it seem very repetitive? Over and over again. And yet sometimes you read the Bible like, man, what is this about, you know? But... God, you also realize that not only are you reading history, but you're also reading poetry. And many of you know, as if you've been a revolution much, we talk about chiastic structures. And there's two beautiful chiasms, as they're called, in this. And so the, this passage begins, and I know you can't read it, but I know you'll just follow the colors, and I, and I want you to look at this. And so it begins with Abraham was 99 years old. Chapter 20, verse 24 ends with Abraham was 99 years old. And it's going to work its way in like a sandwich. The next thing it says was the Lord appeared to Abraham. And then in verse 22, it says, and God left Abraham. So you see the sandwich building here. And then the third layer is he says, I'll multiply exceedingly. And on the way out of the story, he says, I'll multiply you exceedingly. So that's why you see the repetition here because of the poetry of the structure. And then in verse 3, Abraham fell on his face. And then later in the story, when God says, hey, I'm going to give you a child, he fell on his face again. See the structure building here? And then it says, and God talked with him saying, he'll be a father of many nations. And then again, after he makes the main point on the way out of the story, he again repeats it, you'll be a father of many nations. And then he talks about his covenant. Between you and this covenant's different. It's not all the covenants up till now for Abraham were for him. Now it's for your generations after you. I'm making a promise not only to you now, Abraham, but for everybody to follow you. And then he says that uh, it'll be for you and your seed after you. And then, of course, a chiasm, the main point of the passage is in the exact middle. And this is the, the middle. And I will be their God. The whole point of this whole chapter is I want to be your God. Abraham, I want to be your personal God. Not just a God out there somewhere that you know exists, but I want to be your God in an intimate way. That's why the Bible says multiple times that Abraham was the friend of God. And that's what God wants for not just Abraham or big names in the Bible. He wants it for you. He literally wants to know you personally and become your friend. So the whole point of this passage that we see through the chiastic structure is that he wants to be our God. So we're going to divide this chapter into seven short points. I promise I'll keep them short. There's the clear command. There's the current covenant. 
Then there is the circumcision condition. And then there's the confirmation to Sarah. Oh, wrong one. Back here. And then there is the complaint against the covenant that Abram makes. And then there's the confirmation of Isaac. And then lastly, there's the compliance with the command. So got them all C's there for you to help you remember if you're a note taker. Of course, you can follow all this on version and have all these slides to save and, and review during the week if you like. So when Abraham was 99 years old, now keep in mind that prior to the flood, how long did people live? Hundreds of years. Methuselah, how long? 969, right? So, but after the flood, you see the age levels dropping dramatic, dramatically. So for Abram to be 99 years old right now, this is probably our equivalent of his 60s, okay? If you extrapolate his whole entire life out, he's still somewhat vibrant, still actually still going, still doing good. So, but to put that in proportion, and this time, this is the second time the Lord appears to Abram. Before he says, God spoke to him, God spoke to him, but this is the second time he actually appears to him, and he says, I am God Almighty, Just want to let you know who I am. I'm not just a God. I am the God. I'm the one and true God. Here's what I want you to do, Abram. I got two things for you. I want you to walk before me, and I want you to be blameless. Those are the two things in the clear command that he's giving. So God is telling Abraham three basic principles for life. Okay, number one is, I am God Almighty, and you're not. That's one of my favorite bumper stickers. There is a God, and you're not him. I love that one. And and he's saying it, look, Abram, you've been making decisions acting like you're running the show. We know that the past mistakes he's made, right? He went down into Egypt. He lied about Sarah not being his wife, but being his sister and trying to save his own skin, all that. And so he's, well, God is trying to say, look, I'm God. You're not. Stop trying to run your own life. Let me do it. And, and I think he's saying that to us this morning. I think every adult in this room could... If you're a believer in Christ, you could point to a time in your life where you try to take the steering wheel and, and, and then you follow your own directions in life and you've messed it up. And then you have to get on your face and say, God, I'm sorry, I've messed this up. Would you please take control of my life again? And then we tend to take it back and we, we wrestle with God for control. That's, that's really what it's all about. And, and let me tell you that my friends and your friends and people you know who are not believers they can sit there and argue creation, evolution, LGBT, this or that, or what's right, what's wrong, and all that stuff. You know, it all comes down to one word, control. The, the human heart, my human heart, is stubborn and doesn't want to give up control. We say, it's my life, I'm going to live as I choose. And that is, the, that is the anthem of the human race. We all want to do our own thing our own way, and not realize, wait a minute, we were created by someone for a reason, for a purpose. And if we will find our purpose in life, we will be the happiest. But we think, no, we have to do it our way. And so that's what God's telling Abram here. You, you need to stop trying to control it. And then he says, here I want you to do. I want you to walk before me. In other words, I want you to live your life that tries to impress me. Don't worry about everybody else. See, Abram's been trying to, you know, save his own skin, not getting you know, wrong with Pharaoh, not, trying to, not to try to offend Sarai, you know, not worried about Hagar's feelings. He's just not caring about all these things the way he should be. He's just trying to you know, keep control of his life and impress everybody else. And God's like, you know, when, he, when I say I want you to walk before me, right now you've been walking before others because you know, we know how it is when you're at home and nobody's there and you're in your pajamas and, you know, and your hair's messed up. You don't care. But when you go out and walk in the world, all of a sudden you're walking before people. You care what they think. 
And God says, I want you to treat me that way. To when you're walking before me, you care about what I think and not what everybody else thinks. And so Abram needs to learn that lesson. The second thing he wants him to do is be blameless. That doesn't, he didn't say be perfect because none of us can. But we can be blameless in a sense where our reputation is such that people, there's not some big cloud over our character where people question whether they can trust us, whether people question whether they can depend upon us, whether we're actually telling the truth, that we need to not be a perfect person, but to be a blameless person so our, where our reputation is great. Proverbs 22.1 says, a good name is more precious than silver and gold. Do you have a good name? Are you living a blameless life? And you can't do that on your own. You need the help of God to do that. He said, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to be blameless. I want you to protect my name and protect yours by not dishonoring them with your sinful choices. You just smeared the name of God to all the Egyptians. They think your God is trash. They may think I'm powerful, but they, they think, well, if this is an example of a prophet of God, you're doing a really bad job. You're lying to us. You're bringing plagues into our... And you know, Abraham will do this a second time, as we'll see here. Spoiler alert. So... And let me tell you that the first two of these commands, realizing that, that, that God is God and, and he's in control, and being willing to walk before him, will bring about the third one, being blameless. You can't be blameless until you realize God's in control and that you need to walk before him. Those two things lead to that kind of lifestyle. Ephesians 1.4 calls that for all of us. He said he chose us. Everybody say us. In him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, which means set apart, different, and what? Blameless before him. Now, you can't control what everybody thinks, okay? There's some people might still think that you're a scoundrel when you know you're not, or whatever. But if you're walking before God, the right people will see what they should see. Jesus lived a perfect life. What did the Pharisees say about him? He's a drunkard and a glutton, okay? Two things that weren't, and, and he said, drunkard, a glutton, and, and a friend of sinners, well, two out of three, they were wrong. He was a friend of sinners, but they didn't get him right, even though he lived the perfect life. Not everybody's going to see what you're doing, but the people who need to see it will. And so he says, I'm God, God Almighty, walk before me, be blameless. Let's go to the second point, the current covenant. God had already given him this covenant, but now some people say he's adding an additional covenant. Some people say, no, he's just expanding, giving you round two of the covenant, which I believe he's just adding to or expanding the covenant. It says, Abram fell on his face. It's interesting how many times in the Bible, whether it's Joseph or Mary or Elijah, when they come into the presence of God, or better yet, when God's presence comes into their world, they fall on their face. And you know, someday, every one of us are going to fall on our face before God. And it will be in trembling and fear as your judge, or it will be in honor and worship as your Savior. Hey, can you see how two people, both on their face before God, Totally different reasons. One's like, oh my gosh, don't crush me, don't destroy me. And the other one's like, oh, you are worthy of all my praise and honor. You are king of kings and you're lord of lords. But someday we're all going to fall on our faces before God. And that was Abram's proper response. And God says to him, you'll be the father of a multitude. Now again, God promised this before. And Abram's like, yeah, where's your promise? I mean, I got this promise when I was much younger. And now I still haven't filled it. And so 
My wife had this great idea that I go into one of her servants and we have a son. That was 13 years ago. And you told me then that was a mistake and I'd have a son 13 years ago. I still don't have a son. And God's like, here we go. You're going to be a father of multitudes. Yeah, yeah, I've heard this before. <laughs> okay, so Abraham's probably really confused at this point. And it says, your name will no longer be Abram, Abram, if you want to say it right, Avram, but it'll be Avraham, okay? And this is super important because back then, when people made covenants, they would often merge or change their names, okay? So, for example, my name is Gary John Milborn. And Charles, what's your middle name? Charles Elliot Avila. That's a, that's a better name than Gary John. That's boring. Charles Elliot. Doesn't that sound sophisticated? It sounds like, a, like he ought to be a Stanford grad or something. Anyway, so let's say Charles and I enter into this covenant. We come, come into a big business agreement. Back then, people would, I could change my name to Gary Charles Milborn. I would insert his name into mine. And he would take Charles John Milborn or Gary Milborn and uh, Charles John, Gary Avila, sorry. And he would put part of my name into his, showing that we are now tied together through this covenant. Often when two families like say, hey, I've got this daughter here. We're going to do an arranged marriage with your son. How's that sound? Great. Okay. Remember they'd walk through the animals that were split in the blood. And if I don't keep up my end of the covenant, this is what's going to happen to you. Okay. And so this part, part of the covenant. So look, God, look what God does to Abraham. And I didn't know this before. This is amazing. Abram is his name, which means a glorious father or exalted father. And God, one of his basic names is Yah. Okay. And by, by the way, Back you, some of you grew up in the 80s. Remember uh, James Ingram, Michael McDonald, Y'all Mo Be There? Remember that song? Do the YouTube, it's funny. Anyway, but anyway, back to this. <laughs> Abram, I just had to throw it there. Flashback from the 80s here. Uh, Abram and Yah gets Abraham. See how he did that there? And so he merged into covenant. God's saying, hey, I want to be intertwined with you in this relationship. So Abraham says, I'm going to make you exceedingly fruitful, okay? And I will make you into nations. Now, so, so far he has um, Ishmael, right? And Ishmael is going to have 12 tribes. And then in the nations, Israel, uh, uh, Egypt, I'm sorry, the Arabs will have 12 tribes from Ishmael. And then the Jews will have 12 tribes from Isaac, okay? And I'm going to bring forth kings, which there's a whole series of kings, including King David, but ultimately, who's the king of kings that's going to come from Sarah? King Jesus, okay? So now we're seeing the messianic line still in place here. And so this brings us to our third point, the circumcision condition. But there's a condition now. Prior to this, the covenant was unconditional. I'm going to love you, Abram, no matter what. I'm going to bless you no matter what. But part of this covenant now is conditional, and that is the circumcision, okay? He says, you and your offspring, I'm going to make this promise to you. Prior to this, the promise was to you. Now this promise is to your kids, grandkids, great-grandkids from generations until I come again. So it's a conditional promise. It's what I want you to do. And I'm doing this to mark that you will, to be the God to you. That's the main point. I want to be your God, and so I need you to keep this so I can be the God in your life. He says, I will give to you, you and your offspring, after the land. Okay, so now the land is part of the promise. Not just kids, but the land and the sojourn and all the land of Canaan. Now, we've read the word Canaan before, but God has never spoken the word to Abram before. And we said weeks ago that probably is because if he knew that it was going to be the Canaanites, he would have probably moved far away from them. So he kept talking about a land, a land, a land, but finally now he tells them the land of Canaan. Now, Canaan was whose son? Remember, 
Noah's three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Ham was the son who dishonored his father, and his son was Canaan. And then they became cursed, and they were pushed away into the land of Canaan. So God is saying, the very thing I cursed, I'm going to take it back and redeem it and make it God's country. Okay, so that's what God does. He takes the brokenness, the banished, the ungodly parts of our life, he takes them and fixes them and reclaims them for his own glory. And, that's, and he says, I'm doing this so that I will be your God. He said, you shall keep, and the word keep here means to remember. You'll remember my covenant, and you and your offspring now are included. And then this is basically saying the sign of my covenant. Here's, the, here's what it's going to signify, the covenant. You're going to be circumcised. And again, awkward topic, but we'll see what God's trying to do. So let me share with you some simple facts about circumcision. There were actually other nations that practiced this. This wasn't a new Jewish thing. Now, not everybody did, and they practiced it for different reasons and at different times. In fact, um, in uh, nearby Canaanites and Philistines didn't, didn't. So when you read about the Bible in the Bible where God's showing how you're going to be different than the people around you, well, the main people around them, the Canaanites and the Philistines, their enemies, they didn't practice this. But other nations farther around the world did. And so the third thing we see here is that the Egyptians did do this, and they did at age 13. <laughs> Whew, okay. Anyway, and it was like an a initiation into manhood. And so it was obviously a painful process there, but they did it. Now, guess who is 13 right now? Ishmael. And his mom is named who? Hagar. And where is she from? Egypt. Isn't it interesting that God's timing all this out? God's saying, hey, I want you to circumcise right now. And guess what? You're going to keep the Egyptian custom for Ishmael, but we're going to do this for all the newborns and all for all your men and everybody to get caught up on this time thing here. And so, but what's interesting about this, there are people, and you, if you do some Google searching or whatever, there's a lot of people who bash circumcision because they're trying to bash Christianity and they're trying to bash Judaism. And they'll come up with these really vague stats that make it sound like it's a bad thing. But just do your own research. You will see that cervical cancer in women whose husbands are circumcised is a fraction of what it is for other women. You will see that STDs, HIV, all that stuff is way minimized by those who are circumcised versus those who are not. So it is a practice that is, it's basically cosmetic. It's not meant to be brutal. The child doesn't feel very much of it as it, you might feel later in life. And so it's not a barbaric practice practice like many atheists will try to tell you it is, it's actually showing that God knows what he's doing medically, doesn't he? God knows exactly what he's doing in this situation. So it's so ironic that here the organ that Abram used to disobey God and misuse Hagar is now going to be physically marked as the sign of the new covenant that will be used to bless the world. Once again, God taking something that people use for evil and he's going to use it for his good and for his glory. So it's the foreskin, it's a cosmetic thing, I don't need to go into detail, but it's going to be a sign of the covenant. Now it's interesting, there's several covenants in the Bible. In fact, there's a total of five, depending on how you count them, but I, I count them as five. Noah, Noah had a covenant. God made a promise to Noah. What was the sign of the covenant? The rainbow. Here's my promise, I will not destroy the world again with water. Next time I will do it with fire. Okay, but... So therefore, we believe it was a global flood because if, if it wasn't a global flood, we've had floods in areas, so God's not keeping his promise. But God's saying there will not be a global flood again, and I put my mark will be in the sky. That will be my sign that I'm not going to destroy the world again with water. 
So then we have the Abrahamic covenant, which we just learned is the sign is or the mark is circumcision. Moses had a covenant with God. Anybody know? I don't expect you to answer this. I'll be impressive. Anybody know what the, the sign of the covenant with Moses was? Yeah, I didn't, I, actually, I didn't know until recently either. It's, it's, uh, it's the Sabbath. I'm going to mark out a day on the week that will, this will be your day to rest just like I rested. And as you people observe this thing, this will be the sign that you're the, my covenant people. David is the next guy in the Bible to have a covenant, an agreement with God. And it's the Davidic covenant, as we call it. And this is that I am going to bring forth kings from you, but ultimately I will bring the king of kings. And so the fulfillment or the mark that he kept his promise there was Christ rising from the dead, ascending to his throne and taking the, the ultimate throne, the throne in heaven, that God says, hey, here's the mark that I've kept my Davidic covenant. And then we come to, let's see if I do this right here, the messianic covenant, or as we call it, the new covenant. Jesus talked about the new covenant. Anybody want to take a guess what the mark of God's covenant not with Mo- Noah, Abraham, or David, or Moses, but with us. God is coming into an agreement relationship with us, and he's marked it with what? Anybody know? His blood, and what's the symbol or the mark of his blood? Close. No, very close. Some people would say it that way, but Jesus lifted up the cup at the communion and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Okay? So it is the cup. Every time we take communion. We're saying God is keeping his covenant with us. Isn't that amazing? Okay, so every time a Jew saw that he was circumcised, hey, I'm God's people. Every time Noah saw a rainbow in the sky, God's not, I'm God's people. Every time that people saw Jesus, and remember he rose from the dead, that, that, that Jesus truly is king of kings. And every time we take the cup of communion, we're saying he's coming again as king of kings because he's going to keep his covenant with his people. And we are his people. So it's interesting. He told them to, to do it on the eighth day. Okay? Seemed like it was a random number. Everything else was like seven days, you know, or 40 days. But now all of a sudden we do eight days. Well, once again, God knows what he's doing. When the baby's in the womb, the baby gets vitamin K from mom. When the baby is delivered, it's no longer attached to the umbilical cord. It has no vitamin K in its bloodstream whatsoever. It takes some days for it to start making its own. Your body, you know, anybody take vitamin K supplements? Probably nobody. You do? Okay. You don't normally have to because your body makes its own. And so, but it takes a few days to get there. In fact, here's what happens. It's on the curve. If this is the level of vitamin K your body needs, the baby has none. Day one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, it actually has more than it needs. Circumcise the baby then, because what does vitamin K do? Continued blood clotting. The baby won't bleed to death because it produces its own vitamin K. In fact, it has more more than enough on day eight than it will ever have in its life, because after that, the, the curve goes down. Isn't it amazing that God knows scientifically what to do when? And so, again, in today's babies, you're circumcised within hours, but because they use a heated tool, it's cauterized, you don't have to worry about all that. But vitamin K is what God knows. That's what Patrick would call C31H4202, right? Okay, so Patrick knows this, but we all call it vitamin K, and it's for blood clotting. Patrick's an engineer, by the way. Okay, so anyway, I want you to circumcise and 
Words matter, right? Especially in the Bible. I want you to circumcise two groups of men in your camp. Everybody who's been born in your house and everybody who's been bought. Now, so they bought servants. Now, do not say the Bible condones slavery because it does not. Okay, there's, I've preached on that many, many times. I won't go into it right now. But this was indentured servitude where people were paid. They had the right to marry who they want. They could buy property. They could have kids. They all had stuff like that. But they were bought for a period of time. When they fulfilled their period of time, it was like a, um, uh, what do you, what it, when you go to serve with somebody, like an apprenticeship. But it was just an extended apprenticeship in many ways. It wasn't brutal like American slavery and other slavery in the, around the world today. Totally different. So that they could buy a contract on someone, that person would serve and all that. Anyway, um, so there's two groups of men here. Those born and those bought. And did you know that we're both? We are born again by the Spirit of God. We are bought with the precious blood of Christ. So we've, we, this is a picture of, of us in both ways. And so shall my covenant be in your flesh. You will be marked in your flesh so that every time you see yourself, every time your wife sees you, it will be a reminder that we are God's people. And it's interesting, he says, any uncircumcised male who doesn't want to go along with the program on this, he will be cut off, play on words intentionally here, okay? You don't want to be cut off, you'll be cut off, is what God's saying here. And he's being pretty direct about it. I think in the Hebrew, it would probably be a little more blunt or direct. Jeremiah 4.4 4 says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your hearts. See, this is a picture of the hardness of our hearts. You know what causes a hard heart? Bitterness. You know what causes a hard heart? Unforgiveness. When we become callous to the things of God, we grow extra layers on our heart to where we just don't feel much anymore. We're not compassionate. We're not sensitive. And God's saying, you need to repent and remove the foreskin of your heart. That's another picture, beautiful picture that circumcision represents. Anybody uncomfortable yet? Okay, here we go. Now we have the confirmation to Sarah. And her name has been changed from Sarai to Sarah. Okay? So another, other than marriage, it, because the, God, the Bible's not condoning this, people were more patriarchal back then. Men were more dominant. They treated women more like property, and God exalts them, as you see all throughout the Bible. Anybody who says Christianity suppresses women has not read the Bible. Okay, Jesus, his, the, who he chose as his witnesses of his resurrection were women. Jesus ministered to women. He uplifted women. He exalted women. And so the Bible describes where women are being suppressed, but God exalts them. So in this day and time, other than the marriage covenant, you didn't see women enter into covenants. You know, men might enter into covenants as a treaty of a war, when buying property, when promising sons and daughters. But usually women were not included. But God says, hey, I'm not like you. I'm going to treat women as equals. So God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her her name Sarai, which Sarai means bitter, but you're going to call her Sarah, which means princess. See, God exalted her from a bitter woman who's angry that she doesn't have kids to a exalted woman. She will be a princess and father of many. So God does the same thing, merging into a relationship, friendship covenant with her. Her name was Sarai. You put Yah in there, and now her name is Sarah. Isn't that amazing? God said, hey, I'm going to enter into a covenant with you, Abraham. I'm going to enter into a covenant with a woman. I know you people don't do that, but I'm not people. I'm God, and I'm going to treat women differently than you've been treating them. So I'm going to bless her. I'm going to give her a son in her late age. Okay, she's been, Through her are going to come nations. 
and kings, not only through you, Abraham, but through her, man and woman. I'm going to bring in kings, and I'm ultimately going to bring the king of kings. So we move quickly to the complaint. Abraham's not going to, he's going to push back against this a little bit. When Abraham, he fell on his face, but he laughs. And I wanted to give, as I was studying this, I wanted to give Abram the benefit of the doubt. Like, oh, wow, this is great. You know, and think that maybe it's that kind of chuckle laugh, you know, but no, it's not. As you, if you, if you, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what Abraham says reveals why he's laughing. He said, shall a, bo- a child be born to a man that's 100? And of course, he's exaggerating. He's only 99. You know, birthday's coming soon. Anyway, he says, but shall Sarah, who is 90, 90 years old, bear a child? Come on, God, you know, she's way past menopause. I'm an old guy. How's this going to happen? I have no idea how it's going to happen. And Abraham, here's where he reveals his cards. He said, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. When you see the word oh, it's someone who is crying out to God in desperation. He desperately wants to stick with this stupid plan that him and Sarah had 13 years ago. No, God, make him the one. Because think about it, let's not Let's read into the story, put ourselves into it. This is your son. You love him. He's 13 years old. You're starting to play ball together. You're starting to do things together. You're starting to work together. He loves Ishmael. And he's hoping that Ishmael still could be the one. Oh, God, please. That he, you know, recognize that he's even alive. And it's interesting. We're going to, you know, Spoiler alert, in Genesis 22, God asked Abram to do what with Isaac? Sacrifice him. And he says these key words, take now your son, your only son, Isaac. And Abram's like, I got two. And may have more by then, I don't know. And God's like, no, no, the only one that counts right now is the one that I promised to begin with and that you guys didn't trust me on. And now you got this whole problem that's going to come through Ishmael. I want you to take now your son, your only son that matters right now is, is Isaac. And that's why Abram's saying, hey, I, we recognize this guy is even alive. And God's like, no, I'm going to stay with my plan and not with your foolish plan. So how often do we bring our plans before the Lord and ask him to bless them? I, I do that. I want to do this. I want to do this. And then I'm okay, God, would you please bless this, this, and this? And it's like, wait a minute. That, that, that's not the way God works. What we should do is we should ask him to bless us with his plans. Let's come to God with a blank sheet of paper and say, God, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do this year? Who do you want me to marry? What job do you want me to take? Which college do you want me to go to? Here, God, you take the pen, you fill it in. But what we do instead is like, oh, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. Hey, God, would you bless this, please? It's not the way we should operate. That's what Abraham's doing here. He's trying to get God to bless his plans instead of being blessed with God's plans. Matthew 6, 10 when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, what did he say? He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Go into God with a blank piece of paper and say, God, what is your will? Not asking him to bless your plans. God leaves, only gives his best to those who leave the choice up to him. And I add the exclamation point here, okay? Just to full disclosure. But I really believe God was raising his voice. I believe he went into full God mode right now and said, no, it's not going to be this way. Sarah, your wife, not Hagar, the one I gave you in the first place, she shall bear a son. I've told you this for 40 years. You will not believe me. And you're not going to have your way on this, Abram. You're going to do it my way. 
And have you ever been brought to that point where God says, are you tired of messing with me? Are you tired of wrestling with me like Jacob? You, we're going to bring you to the point where you're going to do it my way. No, here's the plan. You shall call his name Isaac. Isaac is like achu. It's a word that describes sneezing. It means to laugh. You know how people laugh at Isaac? <laughs> and they kind of like chuckle. It, it even sounds like it. Isaac. <laughs> you know, like somebody, like Abraham just laughed. And he's like, yeah, we're going to name your kid that skeptical laugh you just had. And so it'll be a reminder to you that I did keep my promise. It's so ironic that the very circumstances that caused Abram and Sarah so much grief, the fact that they were old, the fact that they had no son, these are the same circumstances that God used to prove his miracle. You see, God can make things so tough to where you push against it, but God said, you know what? Because things are so tough, when I come through, you're going to know it was me that did it. What if, what if God caused Abram to and Sarah to conceive 40 years earlier. It could have been a miracle, could it not? Who knows? People conceive later in life sometimes, but 99 and a 90? Who gets the credit for that one? Only God. So God allowed things to get so bad that when the prayer was answered, it was obviously him at work. That's the way we were, you know, a couple of years ago. I remember Nathan, I think Charles was there, I think Chris Sharp was there. I remember two of the three of you, we were meeting for Wednesday Discipleship. And I asked the guys, hey, let's pray for something. Each one of us pray for something so big that when God answered, we'll know it was him and it wasn't us. So we each shared a prayer request. And my prayer request was, hey, I pray that just God gives us a building. We're saving up money. It's going to take, well, I'll be dead before we have a building at the rate we're saving up money. Just that God does something for us to have a place. A couple months later, I have a conversation with Pastor Stan, and here we are. There's nobody gets credit for that but God. I didn't finagle it. We didn't have a millionaire join our church and donate, write a big check. None of that. God totally orchestrated the thing and brought together two bodies of Christ to become one. And it's been a beautiful blessing. It's been a beautiful blessing. I'm so thankful the Lord did that. I give him a hand this morning. He's just, it's just so amazing. And, and let me give you that same challenge. Pray for something that's so big. That when it happens, you're like, that was God. Just, just do that. Do that this week. Pray for something. And again, don't pray selfishly. Pray for his glory on all that as we normally do. And said, he says, I will establish. He's affirming this. I will. I'm going to do it. You don't think I'm going to do it. You keep doubting me. You keep coming with plan B, plan C. I'm letting you know, I will do what I promised I will do. And as for Ishmael, I, I hear you. I got a plan for him, but it's not your plan. I, do, I hear what you're saying. God hears all of our prayers, but he doesn't always answer them the way we ask. Okay, be prepared for that. God always answers prayers. Sometimes it's what, you know, yes, no, or not yet. Or something totally different than what you're thinking, maybe even better than what you're thinking. He said, behold, I, I've blessed him. I've blessed Ishmael because I promise to bless anybody who comes out of you. And he came out of you. And even though that wasn't the plan, I'm still going to bless him. I'm still going to keep my promise. You know, Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his plan and purposes. So God says, I'm still going to bless you even with your mistakes. And Ishmael is going to have 12 princes. Isn't that interesting that they will reflect God's chosen people of the 12 tribes of Israel. Satan always has his counterfeit. And here, here it is. Here's going to be the evil group. And again, not all Egyptians or Arabs are evil, okay? But generally, we've covered that before, is how, how much trouble is caused by Ishmael's seed and Middle East, all those problems. He said, but I will establish my covenant. Sarah, 
shall bear to you at this time next year. Okay, how many months is this time next year? 12. So is she pregnant yet? No, either that's a long gestation or she's not pregnant yet. So this is prophetical. Had he said in eight months, you're going to have a baby, well, you know she's pregnant, okay? And that's no big prophecy, but God's saying, you know, in three months now, you're going to conceive. So y'all get after it and be fruitful and multiply. Okay, verse 22, and when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. So God comes down to Abraham, he talks, then God talks, and he goes up. And I believe this is a foreshadow of the ascension. Jesus tells his church about the new covenant, and then he ascends up. So there's God going up from his people after talking about a covenant. I think it's a foreshadow of that. So what did we cover this morning? We have the clear command. Be blameless, walk before me, know that I am God. And then we have the current covenant. He says, okay, I I still plan on keeping my promise. I'm going to make from you a great nation, multiply you. But you've got to keep this condition to, to experience the full blessing the mark on your people, the circumcision. But hey, I want you to know I'm using Sarah. I'm not using Hagar. In fact, I'm going to enter in a covenant with her and merge our names as well. And then Abraham pushes back against it and says, oh, come on, just use Ishmael and plan B. But God says, no, I'm going to use Isaac. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to bring forth not only kings, but the king of kings. And now he brings us to the last point, the compliance with the command. And Abraham does repent. Abraham gets his heart right. Abraham took his Ishmael, Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his household, all those bought with money. Remember, born and bought. That's us, right? We're born in the family of God. We're bought with a price. He brings them all together. And every male of the men, and this is hundreds and hundreds. He had an army of 319 men. That's just the army part of it, okay? So he's got maybe 1,000 men. Who knows how many? Every male among the men. And that very day. Now think about what God commanded him to do. Did God say, when? He didn't. But when did Abraham choose to obey? Right there. Now, if you were to try to pull this off today, it's okay, uh, Revolution Church, we're going to make sure that all y'all are circumcised. So two weeks from today, we're going to have a doctor come in here. I mean, there'll be a lot of plans and arranging, but Abraham's like, I don't care. Get everybody together. We're doing this now. I'm tired of wrestling with God. God has spoken to me today, and I'm going to obey today. I'm going to do it now. That's a good idea. (laughs) When God calls you to do something, just get it done. Check it off your list. You'll be better for it. But Abraham's obedience is amazing. Again, he's 99 years old. There's no excuses here. Don't say, God, I'm so old. I remember one time when I was pastor at a church in Clute, Texas, we had nine deacons, and I was trying to delegate things to deacons, which they weren't used to. The previous pastor didn't really involve them very much, but I was meeting with them every month, trying to get them involved and get them doing things. And I asked one guy, uh, I, I won't name his name, but I said, hey, would you be interested in doing this with the widows? We need to take care of the widows in our church. He's like, pastor, I'm retired. I've served the Lord for a long time. Let the younger guys do it. It's their turn. I'm done. I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> so I, I didn't want him to do it for that reason. I still think he should have done it. But do we retire from serving God? Can you say I'm too old? I mean, if anybody could say I'm too old, 99, I think, would qualify. You look at this, look at the chiastic structure, and what's the main point? I want to be your God. I want to be friends with you like I was friends with Abraham. I want her into a covenant with you. And the covenant isn't any of these other ones. The covenant is now my blood, that I, that I know you personally. Okay, and then the, the cup of, that I proved it. 
Now, there's another circumcision. No, sorry. There's another chiasm. See where? Uh, there's another chiasm in this. And I looked at this. I thought, man, this, is, this one seems lame. What's the point here? The last few verses, it says, though those are born with, born and bought. That's the way he starts and ends. Verse 24, 23 through 27. The men of Abraham's house, and then it ends with the men of his house. Circumcised in the flesh, circumcised. See the parallels there? That very day, that very day, we're working towards the middle. The middle is the main point. And what's the main point? So Abraham was 99, 99. Ishmael gives their ages. But the main point is they were circumcised in their flesh. Here's another rule that you may not know about chiastic structures. They build towards the middle. The middle is the main point. But when you see back-to-back chiasms, it's saying this main point is tied to this main point. The fact that I will be your God is you have to be circumcised. If you refuse to be circumcised, you're saying I'm not making you God. So he's saying that this sign is what proves that you're God's people. And of course, we know that all throughout the Old Testament, the Jews were marked by circumcision. So in the Abraham covenant, the evidence that I will be their God was signified by circumcision. In the new covenant, that's us, right? The evidence that you're saying he will be my God and the God saying I will be their God is signified by the circumcision of the heart. Now, every Sunday, I try to show you the gospel in every passage, right? I don't try to force it. And you say, Gary, okay, how are you going to pull a rabbit out of your hat this time? Circumcision and the gospel. Just, just watch, okay? The, here's how the gospel. And is it me forcing it? In the Abrahamic covenant, it's, I will be their God, and circumcision proved it, okay? So look what Colossians says. I don't have to prove it. Paul does it for me. Paul says, in him, in Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision without hands. This wasn't a surgical procedure by the hand of a, of a doctor. What are, the, what are the rabbis called that do uh, the circumcisions? There's a whole Seinfeld episode about it. Goyim? I think it was a Goyim. Huh? The moil. The moil. That's what it is. So this is not a circumcision done by a moil, okay? Putting off the body of the flesh by Christ, the circumcision of Christ. Now think about this. You have a hard heart. You have a sinful heart. Sin is making your heart calloused. God needs to peel that off when you repent. And he gives you a new heart. Not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. Okay? And the reason that you can be circumcised in your heart is because Jesus was circumcised. He was cut off and thrown away by human beings. See the beauty of that there? Christ had done nothing wrong, and yet he was cut off and discarded as if worthless. That's what you do with this foreskin. You throw it away. And that's what they did to Jesus Christ. They, they crucified him. And the Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. We believe at Revolution Church that we're all sinners, that none of us are, are righteous enough. The Bible says that. And that everyone needs to come to Christ and realize he died for your sins. He was buried and that he literally rose again on the third day. It goes on to say, and this is for, with your heart, the very heart that needs to have its foreskin circumcised to peel away that sinful layer and that hardness. If you will believe, you'll be justified. And with your mouth, confession is made and someone is saved. Do you know Christ? Noah had a rainbow in the sky to mark that God's covenant, he was his people. Moses had the Sabbath to mark that he was God's people. David had a king of kings come, rise, and ascend to the throne. 
We raise the cup and say, this, is the, this blood is the new covenant. Have you received Christ? Has the blood of Christ washed away your sins? I would, I would like to, if you would do me a favor, just pray with me right now. Whether you're a believer or not, I want you to just bow your head and close your eyes and just, just for a moment to, just, to push away any distractions. If you know Christ and you know you can remember when you, you came to that time in your life, you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, can you just take a moment to thank Him for that? And then would you also just pray for those who don't know him? They've, their lives have never been marked. They've never trusted Christ. The, the Holy Spirit of God would remove that hardness of heart. And if you, Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for loving us. And Father, I do want to pray. We all want to pray for those who are either watching online or maybe they're here with us this morning and they've never made that decision to have their lives marked by knowing Jesus Christ and entering into a covenant with him. Father, I just pray that they would see themselves as sinners who need a Savior and they would trust in the one who died for every sin. And not only did he die, he rose again victoriously, triumphant over sin and the grave. And he's the one that we sang about this morning. He's the one that we worship. He's the one whose word we study because he truly is our God and we are his people. We're thankful for all this. In Jesus' precious name, everybody said, amen. If you made a decision for Christ, or you want to know more about how to trust Christ, maybe you're not there yet, you have more questions, man, there's my number. Call me or text me anytime. I'd love to buy you lunch, talk to you about Christ, okay? We're going to do question and answers time. Amanda, would you like to help me with that? Okay, so if you have a question, there's the number in red. If you're watching online, you could text that in as well. Um, or if you'd rather not uh, text it and you want to just ask in person, you definitely could do that. Um, you can raise your hand and do that as well. Right now I have none, so that's I unusual. Have Usually question, have a... But I can't text it because it won't go through. Okay, no, no problem. I'm just curious, so just like once a person's circumcised, they can't be circumcised again. So when you're circumcised in your heart, that is when you make the decision for salvation. So can you, do you ever have to re-circumcise your heart? No, in fact, no. Yeah. Pastor Stan and I were having the same okay. discussion probably, what, six months ago, and we were talking about, you know, some churches believe in eternal security, which I do, that once you're saved, you cannot get unsaved because you weren't good enough to earn it in the first place. You can't be good enough to keep it. It's all salvation is of the Lord. Um, and Pastor Stan said, yeah, you want, the Bible describes salvation as being circumcised. You can't get uncircumcised. And so just like every one of you who have children, no matter how bad that child behaves, they're still your child, right? Miranda, Adrian just went off the rails, and he's a good kid now, but let's say he didn't. Would you say, oh, you're not my son? No, in fact, you'd love him even more trying to bring him back to you, okay? So the, our inheritance as children is because we're born into God's family, not because of any, like Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us. Not that he will save us, but he has saved us, not by works of righteousness, but by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So that's a great question. Thank you for explaining that. All right. Nothing yet. Nothing yet. Anybody have a question? All right, then we'll finish with that then.